Our next guest is an expert on rite of passage and adolescent development with 30 years experience as a medical doctor, counsellor, mentor, speaker and workshop, workshop facilitator. His programs and seminars are designed to support boys and girls in successfully making a safe, healthy transition to adulthood. Today, we are talking about overcoming adversity in childhood, rites of passage for all children and reframing masculinity. We might cover those things, we might not. Um, but welcome to the Worthy Virtual Studio, Anna Rubenstein. Thank you. Nice to be here. Excellent. As we're talking about off air, the reason I wanted to get you on is like to, to just cast that wider lens on how we're supporting our children in those years all the way through. And I love what you highlighted in that conversation around rite of passage isn't just for the teens, it's about there's rites of passage all the way through for everyone. That's right. And, um, uh, you know, you have a seven-year-old daughter and she'll be going through all sorts of changes. And the way I look at it, uh, you know, way of simplifying is that basically we're all on a staircase of life and each of the stairs represents another stage. So you know, the first step is probably when we're still in utero and then a baby and then, a, a you know, a toddler and a, and a young child and then a sort of a, a, a grown, you know, big child and then a young adult, a potentially a community leader, a parent, a grandparent, an elder in the community. So we're all on this staircase and we're one community on the staircase. And the idea is that uh, you know, progressively we move up the staircase and hopefully we do it well. But the thing is, you know, for example, when a, a child is born, that's a rite of passage for a child because now they're born. It's also a rite of passage for their parents who go from, you know, not having children to having children or from having one or two children to two or three children. And, and then as our children become young adults, that's a huge ad, uh, rite of passage for the children as they're moving into that uh, privilege and responsibility of being a young adult. But equally as important, their parents also need to go through a rite of passage and be letting them go and giving them space and, and, and looking at, well, now my child is growing up, what, how does that change me? And when the whole community is involved in the rites of passage together, we're all moving up that staircase together and then we're all in the, in, you know, sort of on the right step. Whereas what I see happening a lot now is everyone's all over the cake, all over the place. Everybody wants to be as far down the staircase as they can and pretend they're still young and vital and, you know, adolescent. Uh, we, we don't have enough elders. Children are completely, you know, lost because they're being brought up by technology rather than healthy adults. So, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. There is. And if you were to reflect on where your journey up this staircase, how did you find yourself in, involved with the rite of passage? Well, I started my career as a doctor. I was a medical doctor. And when I was working in general practice, one of the things I found is that, you know, a lot of the older people who I really enjoyed talking to and listening to their stories would tell me that, they wish they'd done things differently. I know it sounds cliched, but they wish they'd worked less, spend more time in their families. And they also recognised how a lot of their issues started when they were teenagers. Mm. So there was something that was missing for them and they sort of spent a lot of time compensating for that. And then I worked as an emergency medicine doctor for many years and I saw all these teenagers trying to create their own rites of passage through drugs or 
or early inappropriate sexual behaviors or fights or cars or whatever. And I'm like, wow, this is mad. And then I somehow realized that all of our children are going to go through a rite of passage when they're teenagers. And the question is, are we going to create something healthy and positive for them? Or are we going to let them create their own, which can often be a disaster? Yeah, and then my observation is they're looking for their peers <laughs> to make these informed decisions about their rites of passage and their identity within the world. And it's not about that having that stewardship and wisdom of that older generation pushing down. Correct. And, and we also know... act like an adult. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. They're, they're, actually, the adults expect them to act like adults but treat them like children, by the way. And... We know that when peers create rites of passage for each other, it doesn't work well. That's when we get into abuse and we get things like hazing that happens in the, in the universities or in boarding schools where they treat each other incredibly badly or they get into gangs. And they actually kind of, they do the worst thing they can to each other, which often involves humiliation and shame. And then a year or two later, the ones who've been through the rite of passage themselves are doing it to the next round yeah. coming through and and it's just not it's got all the elements of a rite of passage except for the healthy facilitation because a rite of passage is supposed to be a positive uplifting experience not a damaging wounding one and, and when i was in emergency medicine i was at schoolies for many years and schoolies is in my opinion the worst rite of passage in the world you know we, we send our kids out from school and they get as drunk as they can they take drugs they have sex with people they've never met before, sometimes for the first time, and it's just not a good, that's, that is not the rite of passage I want my children to be going through. Yeah, I personally know people that are like my age, right, in coming into their 40s, and they're still working through trauma from schoolies. Yeah. And, and that era of their life. Yeah. Because it was and just like, off trauma, you go. That trauma affects them their whole lives and it affects yep. the relationships they get into and it affects their decision-making. And, and, you know, we actually need to be working with our teenagers so that they don't leave school and leave those teenage years traumatised, mm. but they actually leave those years passionate and motivated about the future and have a good sense of self yeah. and have a support network. Yeah, that'll make a difference to their whole lives. Yeah. Is that... Do you think as a culture where, and, and I'm really intrigued around that relationship of cultural identity as Australians being a young country and then what we perceive as a norm, like this emphasis on academics opposed to um, maturing and that emotional intelligence factor. So what's your observations around that cultural identity influence onto the rite of passage? Well, it's such a great question because the cultural identity is supposed to create a rite of passage, but the rite of passage also supports the whole uh, building and regeneration of the community and the rite of passage itself grows the cultural identity. In fact, you know, rites of passage were a big part of cultural identity in the Indigenous communities. Mm. But because we don't have formal rites of passage and because we're creating our own, they're often based around alcohol and sex and you know, toxic masculinity, yeah. that then gets embedded in the community as what we do. So we live mm. in a community that worships alcohol and being able to drink a lot, um, that is sexually very dysfunctional, uh, and where, um, you know, toxic masculinity kind of 
still is a major influence on everything that's going on. So at some point, we have to step up and say, hey, how, how can we do this differently? And, and then, you know, what you mentioned with academics, the school system, the school system has to change. It, it's, it's no longer in the best interest of our children to be going to school, spending eight hours a day or whatever, and with a massive emphasis on academic outcomes where we're seeing huge mental health issues happening in our teenagers and growing mental health issues. And we have research out from places like the National University of Singapore who have clearly discovered that your child's academic result at the end of year 12 is not the major determinant of their future success. So this, the mark they get at year 12 is no longer the major, if it ever was, but it's certainly not now, the major determinant of their future success. And actually the major determinant is their critical 21st century life skills. So if they're resilient, if they've got emotional intelligence, if they're adaptable, uh, if they've got relationship skills, those are the things that they actually need. The vast majority of the academic stuff is on their iPhones. You know, it's in their computers. Yeah. We can all access that stuff. And, and, and it's interesting because for the first time, McCrindle, a big research agency, have also uh, published research which shows that parents are now as interested in their child's well-being and in the well-being of the school as they are in the academic outcomes, which is basically parents just saying, I just want my kid to be okay. Sending your kid to yeah. school and having them leave school with a mental health issue, who cares about their bloody year 12 mark? We just need our kids to be okay. And if they are okay, there are multiple ways to be successful if you have appropriate yeah. 21st century life skills. So it has to change. It's remarkable about when you start having a conversation around teen mental health is how many families and friends and associates in our community will be like, oh, yeah, my daughter's going through this, my son's going through this, my dad's doing this, my eight-year-old's doing this. It's absolutely rife. And um, the school my children go to, they're actually building a well-being hub, like a whole area of the school yeah. just allocated for well-being because the principal said, well, I don't have a choice. Like I can't, I can't deal with it. And their priorities like sort out the emotional and the academics will sort themselves out. But you That's can't exactly do right. One if, without the other. Yeah. If a child is happy, emotionally stable, has a good support network, family, friends, they'll do well because they yeah. will. They will have interests and passions. And you know, actually, the other thing I have to say is a lot of children don't actually switch on until they're finished school. So for a lot of children, it's just about getting them through those school years where there's, you know, few options. And then when they leave school, all of a sudden they get out in the world and they discover that there's about a million ways to live your life and yeah. not just one box that we grew up thinking yeah. if you do these certain things, we're a failure. I mean, it's rubbish. Yeah. Working with teens and um, knowing teens is like, I just want to like hug them and be like, this isn't all there is. Just, just be honest. Get get out of school. You'll see the the lens open up a bit broader right. for you. Just like we'll just coach them through it. That's um, right. We're, we're referring a whole bunch to rite of passage, but um, 
just so our listeners are all on the same page, what uh, what are you referring to when you're talking about rite of passage for those people that don't know? Okay. So a rite of passage is an event that transforms you, that it's a life-changing event and you're not the same afterwards. And so when I talk about the staircase, we are all basically going to move up the staircase. The question mm. is whether we move up it you know, well and gracefully and beautifully or whether we basically get kicked up the staircase by life's traumas and, and events. So, you know, a great one, and the one that I'm very passionate about is a boy becoming a young man or a girl becoming a young woman. And the thing to realise is, and I'll, I'll talk about boys to start with because that's who I've done a lot of my work with, even though I now work an awful lot with girls. Um, but if you look at it between a boy... And a, and a man. So boy behaviour is I'm the centre of the universe. It's all about me. I'm the most important person. I can't handle my emotions. If something doesn't work out the way I want, I have a temper tantrum and I, um, you know, hit things and swear at things. Um, a boy thinks he's going to live forever and a boy wants a mother, a mother to do everything for him, to be servant basically and, you know, just be there and tell him how wonderful he is. Now, if that's in a six-year-old, it's okay. But if that boy never goes through a rite of passage and ends up a 30-, 40-year-old man thinking he's still the centre of the universe, thinking he's the most important thing in the world, thinking if, that if he doesn't get what he wants, he can have a temper tantrum and swear at or even hit his partner, which is domestic violence, um, uh, and, and wants a mother to do everything for him, it's a disaster. And, and, if, and if the women listening to this uh, podcast have a thing, I guarantee you they will all know men who still function like boys. Yeah. Whereas if we create a healthy rite of passage and they move to being a man, a man doesn't think he's centre of the universe. A man knows he's actually part of a community and that his mm -hmm. actions affect others in the community and that he has a responsibility to look after the community. You know, a man knows he's not going to live forever a man uh, is able to handle his emotions, so I'm allowed to be upset or angry, but I'm not allowed to put that on someone else. I have to be able to stand with that. And a man mm. is not looking for a mother. A man is looking for a relationship and a healthy relationship. And I have a great concern that we currently live in a world that is run by boys, mm. boys who can make major decisions that affect whole countries Boys who can drop bombs on other countries because they think that that's okay. Boys who in positions of power in business take all the proceeds of the business for themselves, don't worry about the impact it's having on the earth and all those sorts of things, you know, and, and we're destroying our earth and our humanity. And so, yeah. you know, Indigenous communities recognised that we had a moral obligation to create a rite of passage as boys became young men and as also as girls became young mm. women. A big part of the girl behaviour is, you know, external validation for how pretty I am or how good I look or what I do. Whereas in healthy woman behavioural psychology, I don't need my validation from outside. I can actually get my validation from inside because I know who I am. And, yeah. you know, I'm not dressing up for others. I'm actually dressing up for myself. And those sorts of things. Um, so that's a you know that's a big rite of passage. When when someone becomes a parent, it's a big rite of passage. Am I then going to be a parent who 
understands I have a responsibility to look after my child, or do I become a parent who still wants to act like a teenager? Um, so at all stages of our lives, uh, there, there, there should be healthy rites of passage to help us keep moving. And at each stage, how we see the world and our values are going to change because we're at a different life stage. So yeah, they're um, the sorts of rites of passage we're trying to create in a healthy way. I love it how you put it. Like I, I didn't view the rite of passage before as a contributor to community culture, the lack of um, rite of passage, but it, it makes absolute sense. And it kind of like answers one of my questions and observations around that masculinity of the, yeah, the boys culture. Yeah. The that boys is like, yeah. Yeah. The boys. And I hear that phrase and I'm like a bit cringy and I'm like, you're not boys anymore. Like, and what stands out in that conversation is, Hey, like that responsibility and, and, and that rite of passage moving into that like servant mindset. You're like, Hey, you're here to, here to serve and look after that's, that's the, that's the position of the man. Absolutely. And does that, does that mean don't be masculine? No. Not no, at all. but it's a healthy it's form not... of masculine, you know? Yeah. So, you know, they say there's, there's a beautiful model which says that every man has in him a king, a warrior, a magician, and a lover. And that can come out in a healthy way or an unhealthy way. So a healthy king looks after, you know, his kingdom, which is, you know, he doesn't own it. He looks after, he supports his family, his community. A healthy warrior will stand up and defend his family appropriately. Uh, you know, a, a healthy magician does magic and creates in, things in his family and community. And, and a healthy lover appreciates beauty and, you know, has that loving energy. That's the healthy side. But an unhealthy king, a shadow king, will just take it all for himself and, and be abusive. A, 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 an unhealthy warrior is, is violent and a bully. A, an unhealthy uh, um, a magician is a trickster and, and steals things and an unhealthy lover is an addict and, and dependent. So, you know, we need to be bringing out the healthy sides of ourselves and our psyches rather than the unhealthy. And unfortunately, a lot of modern culture and society celebrates a very unhealthy form of masculinity. I mean, you know, we, we, we talk about how inappropriate it is for men to sexualize women as objects and yet we still see billboards all over the city with women lying there in their underwear or, or, or men having to look a certain way so we know we we sort of know what's right and wrong but we're still promoting an incredibly unhealthy form and you, know, you just have to see the reality tv that's on about you know on islands where they put young people or you know they're not that young they're in their 20s and they're physically beautiful but that's it and they're, they're putting these people up as you know those who are supposed to spend our time watching tv watching on tv and aspiring to it's just crazy it's wild um what springs to mind and the listeners have been listening to the podcast for a while i use like that ecology model quite a lot and it that positioning fits in nicely as in that toxicity is that consumer of of that ecosystem and they're just consuming all for themselves all for themselves they're yeah. not actually producing anything yeah 
Yeah, they're so there's, there's, destroying. Yeah, and it just offsets that whole balance, and then that trickles into community, culture, everything. Yeah. Well, you look at power. So if I'm a man in a boy place and I get power, that means I can have more for me. I can have a bigger house, a bigger fence around my house, more expensive holidays, more stuff, consumerism. Whereas if I'm in a healthy man place and I have more power, it actually means I can do more good in my community. I can help yeah. more people. I can contribute. I can contribute to the world rather than taking from the world. And I guarantee you many, many men of the majority of men who are in positions of power, uh, it, it becomes, you know, what they can, their possessions rather than their, their gifts, you know. Yeah. A gift is only a gift if you give it away. So if I give yeah. away my power, I give a gift to the community. If I hold on to it, I just have more possessions. And, I, you know, we just don't need more possessions. No. And at the end of the day, like you're talking, mentioning like working with the elderly, like no one's saying, oh, I should have upgraded my car. Um, I should yeah. have got the bigger house. Yeah. And by the way, the one of the biggest rites of passage that we are missing is that of adult into elder. Mm, that's and interesting. elders are such an important part of any healthy ecosystem. So what we're trying to do is set up a healthy ecosystem where babies can be babies, children can be children, you know, teens can be teens, but young adults are young adults and, and the grown-ups you know what it means to be a grown-up. And the elders are, are, are healthy elders and they have such an important role. The elders are supposed to circle back and work with the young. And that's why in a lot of the, you know, Asian uh, communities, the grandparents are the ones who bring up the grandchildren. A and there's a saying that grandparents and grandchildren have a special bond because they have a common enemy. <laughs> and, and it's a beautiful thing when you see grandparents and grandchildren together because the grandparents get to pass on their wisdom, which the children are hungry for, and, and the children end up gaining wisdom and knowledge and getting the unconditional love of the grandparents, which is what they need. And the grandparents have a role and get energy, which is what they need. And the parents in the middle are freed up to go out and do their big things in the world. Mm. And, and, and so it's a really, it's actually a really healthy relationship when, when you have the elderly looking after the young. Because we don't do that and we sort of tend to break our ecosystem into units and everybody's functioning sort of independently, then the elders don't have as much of a role anymore. So they go off on holidays in their RVs or play golf or, or unfortunately a lot of elderly are depressed and alone and the children are on their, their devices now being brought up by them. That's the new babysitter and the parents are overwhelmed by trying to work and look after their children and so, you know, the, sort of the social structure is not in a healthy way that it could be. Yeah, is it? The underlying motivation is like that whole we move towards pain or the big Freudian thing, you move towards pain, oh, away, move from towards pain. Joy, away from pain and towards joy. Yeah. We're not willing to go through that adversity, so therefore we've got the Band-Aid of the screen. We've got the Band-Aid of shiny stuff. Is it the whole, the whole cause of this? Is it just we're too scared to face adversity when we live in such a blessed and fortunate culture here in Australia? Well, it's a great question again. 
we are scared to face adversity. And the ultimate adversity is the acceptance that we're getting older and going to die, death. Mm. And we don't face that. We do everything to avoid death. So we put death in a hospital and we pull a curtain around it and we, we try and hold it off as long as we can and we have we can now have plastic surgery to make ourselves look, you know, a few steps down from where we actually are and, and we think that if we buy enough things that'll keep us happy. But at the end of the day, the ticket always gets collected and, and, and we are growing older and it, and the thing that I talk about, there's this staircase that we move up, but there's almost another staircase which goes down in that as we get older, we're going to lose people around us. Eventually mm. our parents are going to pass. Uh, my mother died two years ago. It was a major thing. Um, my father's now a very elderly 92-year-old man. And, you know, as we get older, we're going to experience loss and disappointment and even betrayal. And it's actually about, you know, it's, it's, it's not about trying to avoid those things. It's how we can actually manage and grow from them. So I know that when my mother passed away, it was the saddest day of my life, but there was also a lot of beauty in that time, being able to support my father and, and my brother and sister and I really becoming close. And, and it made me realise that I now have to go up a step and I have greater responsibility in my family and my community. So these, these losses and pains and adversity are actually part of life. We're all going to go through it. It's actually about how we deal with it and, and manage it and grow from it. And when we just try and deny it, then it all comes in at the end and we go, oh, what was my life about? And where's my family? You know, and where's my, where's my community? And, and unfortunately, way too many people are dying alone, scared, um, unsupported. Um, and for me, it's just another example. And I saw it as a doctor of how many things we do, which are very probably the opposite to how we should be doing them. Mm. And examples of those? Well, just the denial of death and, yeah. and you know, um, the, the fact that when our elderly are dying that, you know, it's a great opportunity to be with them and to sit with them and to hear their stories and for the, for the young to come and see them instead of sort of separating them and putting them in an old people's home or, or in hospital and keeping them alive yeah. way too long and, you know, that, that's, that's definitely the, you know, another thing I, I see people thinking that they can replace family and relationships with stuff. You know, mm. if, I, if I consume enough, I'll be happy. But the problem with consumerism is it's addictive and it's, it never quite satisfies. So we need to keep on consuming more and bigger. And, and we're, we have one earth. And in our need to consume, we're basically consuming the earth that we live on. And it's like that we just can't keep doing that. We're already seeing catastrophic yeah. impact of climate change and everything else. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the visual I see when we're discussing this is around the rite of passage is taking that ownership over your mastery over an internal fulfillment model like hey i'm the master it's my responsibility to bring myself joy it's my responsibility to to have purpose um and the challenges we are we've, we've created a culture of so much external fulfillment with instant gratification through screens and consuming shiny stuff and drinking and all of these things and we really got to 
support our children and generations to take that ownership internally. Correct. That, and that's why, you know, when we create rites of passage, especially for the, for the teenagers, uh, which is probably the, sort of the first major facilitated rite of passage that they go through, it is really about setting them up for the future. And part of it is getting them to think about what sort of adults do they want to be and, and what do they need to let go of and stop doing if they're going to become that person. And then the other really important part about a rite of passage comes from the Indigenous philosophy that every person has their own natural gifts and talents. Every child is born with a spirit. And a huge part of a rite of passage is helping our young ones recognise and know that they are valued for their, their innate gifts and talents and their spirit. So basically saying, we love you for who you are. We admire you and we're proud of you for who you are, not setting them this benchmark that they have to look a certain way or be a certain way. And if they're like that, we'll love them. And otherwise, you know, they're not okay. And, and, you know, once again, social media is telling us girls need to look a certain way, boys need to look and be a certain way. So we give them one model, which is often a very unhealthy model, and then they all aspire to that. You know, at some point we need to break that pattern and go, actually, we want you to be you. And we want you to find out what you love doing, where your passion is, where your gifts are, and bring that into our community. Yeah. Developing identity. Correct. And healthy identity. Yeah. Wow. So let's start at the other end. How do we best support our children? Well, we, um, we work with rites of passage, obviously, but we've sort of developed a model now that extends past rites of passage, and we call it transformational parenting. And there are three pillars of transformational parenting. And the first is around creating healthy communities, strong, healthy communities. And children who are in strong, healthy communities will do better than children who are not. There's a ton of research on that. The second yeah. is teaching them critical tw 21st century life skills. And there are some that have been identified, things like resilience, adaptability, emotional intelligence, relationship skills. If, if our children get those basic skills, that's really good for them. And then the third one is creating healthy rites of passage rather than having them go out and create their own. So in a healthy community with good life skills, we, we need to be creating and celebrating the different stages that our children go through and creating rites of passage. And, and my work has really been based on studying rites of passage around the world and recognising that they all have the same stages and elements and then going, okay, these are the stages and elements. How can we do this in the most appropriate way in this school, in this family, in this Aboriginal community, wherever we're doing it, how do we create that? And then supporting people to set up and create their own rites of passage in their own way, in their own community. Yeah, and my understanding is that one of the steps in that process is coming up against challenge. It's yeah. not something to be avoided. It's something to be met head on and overcome. Absolutely. Children need challenges. Teenagers need challenges. And if we don't create them for them, they'll go and create their own. And when they create their own, there's no boundary. Their challenge might be to drive their car at 180 kilometres an hour with the lights off down the highway on the wrong side or anything or jump off something into a, into a lake that's, you know, all the millions of things that they get up to. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, 
we need to create challenges that challenge them but don't actually destroy them. Uh, and, yeah, we can do those things. And it's, it's from adversity that they actually grow and develop resilience. And the ones who don't have resilience, who've had the perfect upbringing and everything's been looked after and if there's any problem, we go and solve it for them, when those kids get out into the world, they can't cope because they just don't have those basic functional coping skills. Yeah. And once again, the rite of passage is a parent saying, oh, act like an adult now, make good decisions. And the child's going, you've never made, let me make a decision in my life. What does yeah. that even look like? Yeah. Yeah. And look, you know, that even starts early where we encourage parents to teach their, their children skills of reflection and to help them solve their problems rather than just do it for them. So we say to parents, if something happens, it can be anything. You might be going down the street and you see some young kids smoking or there might be something you watch on TV. Rather than then telling your child, don't smoke or that was wrong, ask them what they think about it. Ask them what their thoughts are. And if they have a problem, instead of automatically solving it for them, see if you can get them to come up with some ideas and then support them. And just teaching those, you know, we've put together a series of, basic parenting strategies because we've found that that's what parents want. They want the support. They want the help. They want the tools. And if we can help them with that, then it actually makes a big difference. Um, and what are some of those um, tools? Obviously, we don't have the time to run through a whole workshop, but just yep. high level because I just want to give that taster for our listeners that, and then the links to that will be in our show notes. Great. So what should they expect? Sure. Well, I mentioned the... Um, teaching skills of reflection and helping them yes. solve their own problems. One of the really big parenting skills or strategies is to find something one-on-one -on -one that you enjoy doing with your child and they'll enjoy doing with you and do it. Turn the mobile phone off and do it. And there's any one of a million things. So if you mentioned you have a seven-year-old daughter. Is there something that you and she enjoy doing together? Your thing that you do? I recently got a, a boat. Yeah. <laughs> So going out on the boat, she's so keen just to be out there and exploring the world of camping and anything where it's quality time away from stuff. Yeah, is that's that's really her her love language. How if I can be on the phone coming in from work, and she'll be like, I could literally be five feet inside the door, and she was, like, Why are you on your phone? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just right. yeah, but it tells me what she wants. That's right. That's the thing. They want you without your phone and to do something. Mm. Going on the boat and going camping, how fantastic. So, you mm. know, you can't do it every day, but you might do it once a month or once every three months or once, whatever, once a week. And you go and you turn off the phone, you don't ask them a million questions, and then they will start asking you questions. And yeah. some people do it, they go for a walk with the dog or mm. they, they go out on a Saturday morning and they have breakfast somewhere or they play music together or they go surfing together or whatever but I strongly encourage parents to find something that they can do with each of their children, not, not with all of them together, one at a time, phone off and just do it and, and work. You know, that's, that's probably as important as anything because if you want to support them, you have to have a relationship with them. If you don't do things one-on-one -on -one with them, you know, you won't have that same sort of relationship. Yeah. And then the other one I talk about a lot is that when your children make a mistake or muck up or do something they shouldn't do, that you don't shame them. Mm. You separate the person from the behaviour. So you, they know that you love them, but you go, you know, hey, I love you, but what happened 
you know, we need to talk about it. We need to work out what we're going to do about it, how we resolve it, whether we think it's okay or not, and, and actually talk about it together rather than just saying, you did this, that's not okay, you're hopeless, you're useless, and here's your punishment. Yeah. You know, because they are going to make mistakes. They're supposed to make mistakes. That's part of learning and growing. If you can turn that mistake into a growth opportunity, that makes a huge difference. If you shame yeah. them, if you shame them, they won't tell you when they've got a problem. And then when they become teenagers or young adults and they might have a big problem, if they don't feel safe to come to you, then it's a real issue. Yeah, and another thing I was recommended through probably a podcast guest was that when you um, are there to have those conversations and unpack that um, behaviour is to... We have the power of reflection and a bit of timeline. So we can circle back to it at a later date. And then it creates that better margin than trying to be in that, those big, the big feeling zone at the time. Correct. It's a complicated beast, this whole parenting and childhood. But I also love what you were saying there around letting them have the, have the failure essentially come up against yeah. that adversity and say, hey, yeah, it, it didn't work out and that's okay. Um, but also parenting can't happen in the car ride and pick up from school. Well, you that's know, why I talk you... about finding something that you enjoy doing one-on-one. Yeah. And just on what you said about the failure, when we interviewed and did a survey of headmasters around Australia, the big thing that came up is the children not having resilience and anxiety and anxiety is a worry about what's going to happen in the future and uncertainty about whether they'll be able to deal with it or not, which is a lack of resilience. So, you know, we need to let them try new things. We need to let them fail. I mean, I think we should be doing resilience classes in school where they actually do fail and the class doesn't start until you failed. That's when you start your learning. Yeah, I was asked to do a talk at a school recently for the like entrepreneur program, and I said, "Oh, you can start by failing." And I was like, "Don't make your business fail, but go out, find something you're going to really suck at, and do yeah. that for a bit." Yeah, if and that will only help. If you're an entrepreneur, you're going to fail. I was actually watching oh, a special on Elon Musk and about his SpaceX rockets, and the first three launches all blew up and failed. And he said, yeah. you know, we don't actually want to fail, but when we do, we learn so much from. Yeah. And he, um, he also had to consciously make the choice to go down that track knowing that he was going to fail. Correct. It was like, based on, based on the math, there's no way you're going to launch this first time, champ. It's going to yeah. blow up. But yeah. still to have that resilience Correct. to forge ahead for this bigger mission that's beyond yourself. And he knew um, he could handle failure. Yes. Um, how, how, how else as parents and caretakers, if you will, um, mature, maturing members on the stairs, um, how do we support our children to become more resilient? How, well, we, you know, we, we encourage them to try new things. We talk about our own failures and mm. how we've learned or grown or, or, or not from those things. And, and when they do, when something does go wrong, we just make sure that they know they're safe 
it's okay and we're going to talk about it and, and see if there's anything we learnt and whether we want to try again or do it differently. You know, we, we need to look for those opportunities and, and they're around and yeah. grow from them. And then when they do succeed, we give them appropriate, you know, encouragement and praise for doing that because they're also kids who they're expected to do well and, and no one actually acknowledges it, but when they do not well, everyone's all over them. So it's about positive reinforcement and then support when things don't go right. Yeah. Is, is resilience the, the kryptonite to anxiety? <laughs> they're related. They're related. Yeah. You can call them bedfellows. Yeah. And, and that's a way to overcome resilience, um, to, to, to foster more resilience. Right. Well, foster of, more. If I'm anxious about doing something because I'm worried something will go wrong or I don't know what's going to happen, that very much speaks to my not having resilience. Yes. If I have resilience, I'm not worried if my rocket blows up the first time because I expect it to and yeah. I can handle it. If I got no resilience, then I'm incredibly anxious because if the rocket blows up, I think it's the end of the world. Yeah. It's one of my challenges as a playground designer is like I've got standards and regulations, but I design in failure and work with teachers and educators to support children use the language around you can't do it yet. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, I was for fortunate enough to see a little boy. He couldn't do a climbing wall. It took him like three months to be able to do it. But I just happened to be there when he when he did like three months after. And How there's, fabulous. There's nothing that I could have – there's no way I could have supported him or created something in that environment to give him the fulfilment of him having that resilience, persevering, accepting his – lack of physical competence, um, and then overcoming it and that sense of accomplishment and joy, there's no way I could replicate that in anything I do. That's right. And if he'd succeeded on the first day, it would have meant nothing or yeah. a lot less. But the fact that it took him three months, how fantastic. You know, he kept trying for three months and eventually did it. And when he did it, someone was there to witness it and, and acknowledge it. That is yeah. perfect. I love that. Yeah. And – just something that pops into mind, what what role does perfectionism play in a lack of passage and moving through the, up those oh, stairs? Perfectionism is a really dangerous, you know, they talk about toxic masculinity. There's also a thing, toxic perfectionism, which unfortunately impacts a lot of girls mm. uh, and, the, and the girls' education system where they think they have to be perfect or there's a problem. And, you know, you, you, if, if you're a perfectionist, then you're just waiting to fail because we can't be perfect all the time. The world's not perfect. It just doesn't happen. So perfectionism, I think, is very, very uh, – it's a negative attribute. And, and, you know, our children need to know that their parents are not perfect, the world is not perfect, they're not perfect, it's actually about doing as well as we can rather than thinking that if we didn't get it perfectly, we failed. Mm. And perfectionism yeah. and anxiety are right in there together because if I'm a perfectionist, yeah. I'm always incredibly anxious something's going to go wrong. And how do you, um, how do you support? Because I can imagine that would be a big part of the girls' 
rite of passage, overcoming perfectionism. So what, what does that support look like? Well, a big part of an element that we have in rites of passage is around story sharing. So if we can get girls sitting there with older women, their mothers, grandmothers, whatever older women, and, you know, one of the topics is around how the women grew up and how they were when they were teenagers and, and the discussion comes around to perfectionism and then they hear these women going, you know, talking about how life hasn't been per- perfect and things they've learnt and all the rest, then we can actually have an impact on the on the girls' attitudes towards perfectionism. It, it won't happen by us telling them, oh, don't worry about being perfect or you don't have to. They don't want to be lectured to, but they will listen to stories. So stories are a really important part of a rite of passage. So from here, what's your... What's your tips? What's your big um, vision for the future for supporting communities for rites of passage? Well, we're trying to make rites of passage mainstream again, like they would have been historically. We want every child to have an opportunity to go through a healthy rites of passage. So a lot of what we do is we do leadership training, a three-day leadership training here in Byron Bay. Uh, I also run them in Perth and running another one in Belgium this year and but our sort of headquarters is at Byron Bay. So we teach people about the framework of a rite of passage. We're working in a lot of schools, uh, implementing transformational education around rites of passage and building communities. And, um, you know, we're just doing everything we can to spread the work. So anybody who's interested, it'd be great if they jump on our website. Um, teachers, we're interested in coming to school. For individuals, we're interested in helping them so they can create their own rites of passage in their families or places of work, um, yeah, just getting rites of passage out there. And starting at the base, transformational parenting, starting at the root of the tree. That's right. And um, ensure exactly. it grows strong. Yes. Well, Anna, thank you so much. It's been eye-opening and um, absolutely phenomenal. I look forward to having uh, having you back to unpack some more things on the podcast as well. and. Um, getting this out there into community in, in what we do in designing and teaching about play. And um, thank you so much to, for contributing to the community and my own in my family. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.